VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm not. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And we thank you for joining us on this lovely Thursday. In the studio with us, I am excited because it's a rare treat to get him twice in one week. Double dose. That's right. It's the Times Chief Stats Officer, Bill David Edgar, the man with three first names. David is your middle name, right? That's correct. How do you know that? That's very uh, spooky. There's this this thing called the internet where you can find out. (laughs) Use the Tor browser, move into the dark web. (laughs) And down the line, the man on the Manchester beat for the Times. I'm wondering if I should out his middle name too, or if I should just leave it at that. I'll keep the suspense for next time. It's Paul Hurst. It's Michael. Michael's my middle name. After my dad. Oh. You had to ruin it for everybody. I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something outlandish, like, I don't know. I thought it was Paul Rees Mogg Hurst, but guess not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're from the same bloodline, definitely. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to the clash of the last two Premier League champions, and we'll be rating and reviewing the Premier League's newest manager. And I'll be revealing, Natalie, what oh. his name sort of means in German. Oh, okay. Look forward to that. But we start with a high-scoring draw at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Arsenal. The Gunners twice took the lead, with United twice responding as the spoils were shared. Now, Paul, you were there. Uh, Was this a game that that highlighted the flaws, perhaps, in in both sides? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, if if you look at the all four goals, really, they're all uh, results of pretty shocking defending or goalkeeping. In, in, in the um, the case of the first one, and you know Arsenal and United have both had very poor defensive record this season. Both have only kept two clean sheets, and that's the the joint worst in the uh, in the league with West Ham and Cardiff. So it's not great company to be in. Um, and I just thought, you know, that the second equaliser for United it came, you know, so quickly after the restart, just showed how little focus and how. How poor both teams, you know, you know, both teams were defensively. How brittle they were, um, and you know, it, it won't go down as one of the classics of the United Arsenal era. You know, it was, it was pretty. I know it was entertaining. There were four goals, but in terms of quality, it was very, very poor. Um, and by the end, you know, United couldn't pass it out from the back, and it was all just a bit. I just sat there thinking, come on, let's 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 finish this. Let's leave it as it is because it's not going to get any better. Yeah. It's weird. It was a kind of game where if you were watching at home on, on television, as I was, you were kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Like, it was exciting, right? Yeah. But there was such a lack of quality. And 
Like if you're Jose Mourinho and you leave out your more technical players, I mean, maybe, you know, had he started with, I'm sure we'll get into why not, but if he started with people like Pogba and Mata, whatever, on the pitch, maybe we would have seen a different type of football. Part of it maybe was also the, the weather conditions. Part of it maybe Arsenal were a little spent. Part of it was that Arsenal lost two starters, and so it was game plan out the window by halftime. Is this their dimension, or is, are they just different when they miss key pieces? I, I did think they looked tired, particularly in the second half. I was very impressed by Gunduzi and Torreira in midfield. I thought they were the most energetic players on the pitch. You know, they, they were very, very good on the ball, particularly Gunduzi, such a young player. He's so good on the ball, always demanding it, always driving forward. They showed United's midfield up a bit, really. I mean, Herrera was just going around, kind of, you know, snapping at ankles as he does. But there was very kind of little creativity, you know, in comparison uh, when you compare, you know, United's midfield to. Uh, to Arsenal, and like you say, you know, Pogba would have brought that. I just think United went, it, it was so kind of predictable, so such a lack of creativity in that in that United midfield that it, they just almost ended up bypassing them. I mean, there's so many times when Rojo had the ball at the back and he just like lumped it into one of the channels and hoped that Martial had run onto it. That seemed to be the, you know, the plan for United, which is quite, you know, quite worrying moving forward. United basically gave up midfield, I thought. They had um, Matic and Herrera in there, but it was more or less 5-2-3. They had the three kind of speedy, youngish kind of chasers up front who, you know, it's very exciting when it comes off, but basically they're just knocking long balls up to them. Lingard, Rashford and Martial are just vacating centre midfield. So Genduzi and Torreira pretty much had it to themselves. Over and over again, they got the ball in, in the centre circle and just nobody there. So you United do that kind of because if you play Pogba, he just gives the ball away all the time, well, right? Yeah, at the, way, at the moment, exactly. Um, I mean, that was their tactics, but uh, and the, the back three were you know, very poor in possession, so um, there wasn't much chance of them finding a teammate nearby, so it was best just to knock it long anyway. So, I mean, it, it was quite unedifying, really. I mean, Arsenal produced what entertaining football there was, and they probably had the edge, I think. What about the value of Manchester United's bench? Almost £250 million. And bear in mind, of course, the £47 million Fred wasn't even a substitute either. Um, is that a message, Paul, from Mourinho to his board, do you think? I think defensively, certainly, you have very kind of few options for the bench. Mourinho said he had, he had no one, basically. I mean, McTominay, so that's that's why he chose McTominay on the bench. I think he was the backup centre-half Um and he had Fellaini on the bench as well, and you know, no one moves Marouane Fellaini from that squad. Um, he's you know he's right up there with Mourinho's most important players. Then you've got Mata, you can't really drop him. Pogba, obviously, you know he's got to be in the squad, and Lukaku as well. So Fellaini's so important. Pogba's got to be included. McTominay was the backups in the half. Then there was no room for Fred really on the bench, which is you know. <laughs> It's remarkable when you consider that he's the fourth most expensive signing in the club's history and he's barely kicked the ball this season. I thought he looked very good at the start of the season. He was very energetic, very dynamic. Uh, and this was a guy that Man City were after as well. You know, they, they thought that he could be the long-term replacement for Fernandinho. Mourinho's just not using him at all. I, just, I don't know whether it's a, a, a criticism of the scouting department. We know that Mourinho's had... You know, he's had doubts about the whole scouting system, about how it works, about how they identify players. Is he saying, for example, you know, you've you've bought me a dud here. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to include him just because he, he costs that much money. Um, 
but yeah, it's I'm, I'm, been, Paul, Paul, Paul. Like we can't use the "you bought me a so and so." Like this is not one of those situations where you've got some you know control freak director of football and and a poor manager under his thumb. This is Jose Mourinho you're talking about. Yeah. These are Manchester United type players. I mean. He had no trouble signing Diogo Dalot, right? Who presumably, I wonder who represents him. But um, there's no scouting issue there with him. I mean, Fred was a guy who was in the Champions League and stuff. He would have he would have seen him. He should know who he is. It's not like he shows up and all of a sudden there's this like little Brazilian guy there, and he's like, "Who are you?" Right? He does what he wants, doesn't he, Mourinho? I mean, well, that's is, what I mean. Yeah, Pogba, Lukaku. It, 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 I mean, it's, it's not like they sign obscure players. It's not like there's a scouting department that scouts these obscure. No names and spends hundreds of millions on them, right? No, but this is <laughs> and this is the problem. There is a massive gap between Mourinho and you know the the kind of the the board really, or the, certainly Ed Woodward in terms of you know transfer targets, etc. I, mean, I read the other week that he was interested in uh, Axel Witzel. You know, <laughs> another forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I think he's 29. So I mean, what he's clearly not a long term option that. That Woodward would be interested in. More to the point, if you wanted Axel Witzel, Axel Witzel moved in the summer to Borussia Dortmund, mm, right? Yes, yes. He's, I mean, I, I think he's a very good player. He's, I would have him over, over Matic and many United midfielders, but if you wanted him, the time to buy him was in the summer, right? This yeah. Is, you know, the, the, the guy's been to St. Petersburg and he's been to China. He wants mm. to come back. It would have been, it would have been open and shut on that one. Did you have any insight into... I mean, we talked about it, but the whole virus thing come together with his match day program notes, together with the fact that the virus story was broken. We talked about it again a little bit on Monday, but you've got the local insight. was broken yeah. by Duncan Castles, which rather because he's very close to Mourinho's camp, suggests that this was broken with Mourinho's blessing because I don't think Duncan heard it from Pogba. We did a story on, I think it was Tuesday morning, saying that that Pogba actually gave him a little bit back, saying, saying, you know, well, that's all very well and good, but I need people in front of me <laughs> to create movement so I can pass to them. Mourinho was complaining that Pogba was losing the ball, etc. But Pogba was saying, you know, well, who can I pass to? What what can I do if everyone's just kind of stood stationary in front of me? Um, I mean, I, I think that's a little bit kind of weak because, you know, there's so many occasions where Pogba lost the ball under very little pressure and it was quite embarrassing um, at some stages. In terms of the whole Mourinho Pogba kind of battle, as it were, that Mourinho was quite was quite diplomatic about it last night after the match. You know, he was invited to say that Pogba's got a, a fight on his hands to get back into the team, but he actually said, "Oh no, I thought he played very well when he came on for fifteen minutes." So, what's Mourinho thinking? What's his? What? 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 What, what is this? This weird passive aggressive strategy? Because he had this earlier this year, right? He said Pogba was a monster. Yeah. Was it against Leicester or something? Mm. He gets all this stick, and then I. I think I'm right in saying Pogba started all but two of of United's league games this season. I I don't I don't understand what he's doing. Is he trying to get in his head by then the vice captaincy nonsense? What strategy is he employing? Does he think this will motivate Pogba to play better? W- what is it? It's, it's Mourinho's go-to kind of tactic, isn't it? When he thinks players aren't pulling their weight, he'll let it be known that he's not happy with them. He will, you know, he will crucify them. He will hammer them into into thinking that you know. I'm actually, you know, I'm not good enough for this team. I need to up my game. I need to improve, and I need to perform better. But it can work one of two ways, can't it? You can you can either be really sort of dejected by it, which you know, you know, I'd understand if that was the case. You, you look at Mkhitaryan, you know, it, the guy, 
you know, he was really kind of crushed confidence-wise by the time that he left United. And then you go the other way and you look at Shaw, who, you know, it's taken two years of <laughs> quite a brutal hammering, but he's actually playing quite well at the moment. And he does the little things that Mourinho likes. He makes a kind of the little um, cynical fouls to break up play. Um, so, but yeah, it just seems that Mourinho wants to criticise and you know let it be known that he's not happy with Pogba just to kind of jolt him into reaction, which is you know a really kind of risky game to play. Let's talk about Arsenal. 20 games unbeaten now uh, in all competitions. That's an unbeaten run that started since they lost their opening two fixtures of the season. Bill, it's been some response, hasn't it? Yeah, certainly. Um, game after game, and initially, say the first five or six games, you thought oh, maybe a bit lucky. I think home to Watford, home to Everton, they're a bit. They won two 0 both times. Were a bit shaky, but uh, it's just gone on and on and on. And they they were really good at home to Liverpool, really good at home to Tottenham, decent enough last night, I and mean, certainly at least deserved the draw. So they've, they've you know played some big teams, and they're looking very solid. I mean, you couldn't have hoped for more really from. Emery from his first three or four months after the uh, departure of Wenger after all that time given what happened to Manchester United how they've collapsed um, you know in the f- subsequent five years the fact that um, Arsenal have um, you know shrugged off the departure of the, the legend uh, obviously he wasn't doing as well at the, in the final stages as Ferguson was but uh, Emery's done brilliantly <laughs> This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here is one for you on this very podcast. Burnley remain in the bottom three, so remain on course for the rare double of having played in European competition and being relegated within the same season. However, there is a player in the Burnley squad who's done that before. Question is, who is he? Uh, blank. W- I'm just blank. No, no idea. I would guess. Didn't Whole City play in Europe a few years ago? Or was it so long ago that... Um, or somebody who maybe played for Wigan? Well, that's yes, but I can't think who that would be. Although they were relegated this season, they qualified for Europe. Unless it's a foreign player. And, and there's not that many of them, apparently. No, no there aren't. Let's just remind everyone the question that we're asking then is which Burnley player has played in a European competition and then been relegated within the same season, Bill? That's a good one. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. The last two champions of England meet at Stamford Bridge on Saturday evening and they arrive in very different form. The league leaders, Manchester City, have taken 34 points from the last 36 available in the Premier League, while Chelsea, unbeaten for so long under Maurizio Sarri, have now lost two of their last three domestically after defeat at Wolves on Wednesday. Now, Gab, uh, Sarri criticised his players last night for being too confident. What do you make of that? I think he was probably happy that he wasn't asked about Conte's position. <laughs> no Jorginho and all that. <laughs> Wolves have been on a bad run of results. I think maybe even results that were worse than their performances. And I thought Chelsea played really well in the first half, could have scored two, three goals. And maybe that's where psychologically they kind of felt, all right, we got this. 
and Sadi himself, you know, he was asked about some penalty incident, and he's like, I didn't talk about the penalty incident, in my, but more significant is the fact that, you know, we missed four or five very good chances in, in the first half. And I think that was a difference, and I think this is something that just drives managers mad when they're in control. You can think Chelsea could do a good job of keeping the ball, especially with the players that they have, and it falls apart. But what I would say, too, though, is knowing Sadi a little bit, I think he's going to emphasize the positives in preparing for this match against City. He's going to emphasize what they did right in the first 45 minutes. He's not somebody who's going to dwell on the mistakes of the second 45. And, and I think that's also because, you know, there's no risk of Chelsea perhaps underestimating Manchester City or, or getting a little too relaxed against <laughs> That would them. be foolish. Um, uh, of course, Paul Pep Guardiola rotated at, at Watford in midweek. It was a whole new back four. Do we expect to see him rotate again then? I think I'll make a, a few changes, yeah. I don't think we'll see Vincent Company, for example, starting on Saturday. He came off with a bit of cramp towards the end. I think we'll see you know, the tried and tested partnership of Stones and Laporte back in, in, in central defence. I think Delph, you know, Delph wasn't so great against against Watford. Even I got caught out a couple of times on that left-hand side. So if Zinchenko's recovering from his... his um, broken nose that he got the other night, he might play at left-back instead. Um, I think he'll keep the same midfield. I think it'll be Bernardo, David Silva and Fernandinho. And up front is the big question, really. I'm not really sure whether Aguero will be fit to play. Um, There's some suggestions that he'd, he'd suffered a, a thigh injury um, in training on, on Monday, so he might miss out. And Gabriel Jesus has been playing up front for the last couple of games and he, you know he, he looks a completely different player to the one that started... Uh, the, the when he started at Man City, it was completely bereft of confidence. Looks really, you just need, he desperately needs a goal. But um, I, I just wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he dropped Jesus and he played a front three of Mares, Sane, and Sterling. If those three have they've, they've scored twenty two goals between them this season, Gabriel Jesus only scored one in the league, and he just looks like he, you know, he he, he can't score at all. He, he won't score. It's easy to forget Gabriel Jesus is 21 years old, um, you know, because he started for Brazil in the World Cup and because, you know, he's, he did so well in the second half of the last season. And I think it's normal that pauses. But as, as Hursty said, like, I'm assuming it would be Sterling through the middle maybe, but like, you've got Mars on fire. You've got Sade, who I would start in every single game because he's a human mismatch. And you've got Sterling, who's, you know, scoring at a rate that you don't expect from a winger, right? No, I mean, you don't... Um City don't really need a focal point, a focal uh, as a, a traditional centre forward. Really, the way they play, so much movement. Anybody can can uh, play in the front three and move around. And and um, and Jesus has shown he can finish very well in the past, but at the moment he isn't. And pretty much uh, all the other um, attackers and attacking midfielders at City are finishing better than him at the moment. So so there's no worry about if you leave out your centre forward where are the goals coming from um, and certainly Sane Sterling and Mahrez all on absolutely top form at the moment so there's no problem about playing all three there certainly Let's focus back on, on to City's opponents then this weekend Chelsea uh, we mentioned about City's players being on form, Eden Hazard had scored seven goals in his first seven Premier League games this season, he then suffered an injury since coming back hasn't scored in his last six league games so his last Premier League goal came two months ago he's not dominating the games the way he he was bill um i'm not so sure i think he's still uh, obviously hasn't been scoring so much but i think he's still been pretty decent he was he was okay last night certainly in the first half um 
I'm not sure there's too much wrong with Chelsea, really. They, they came up against a brilliant Tottenham team at Wembley recently. Last night, they could easily have won. They, they had plenty of chances. I wouldn't be too too concerned yet. Um, and I don't think Sarr is about to rip up the blueprint yet. It's interesting that he, when he makes his substitutions, they're almost always like for like. Chelsea might be playing badly, but he'll be a central midfielder for a central midfielder, a striker for a striker. It's interesting. It's quite different from most managers who will think, right, let's change things. Let's go three at the back. Let's go two up front. Let's do it. But he just sticks... Absolutely. Almost every substitution sticks absolutely to it. This is not saying it's necessarily good or bad, but it's uh, an interesting uh, change to the norm. I think he's spoken about this because people did pick up on it. The one exception that we've seen, we haven't seen so much this year, what he's done in the past is also he's gone with a small striker instead of a big striker. Obviously, Chelsea's got two big strikers, but he says when your plan's not working, you can either change the plan or you can think about can somebody who's who's fresh who's maybe more athletic, who interprets the position differently, can they execute the plan better? Most of the time, I think since we spend so much time trying to develop chemistry, it makes sense to figure out if we can execute the plan better, if we believe in the plan. Well, Chelsea are now 10 points off City. So, Paul, they have to win this one, don't they, to have any chance of winning the title? Yeah, I think so. City and Liverpool are in danger of pulling away now, aren't they, really? Um and I think, you know, City are so confident at the moment that they, I can't see anything else but a City win this weekend. They were very kind of disciplined at City at Chelsea last season. It was one of the best performances of the season. And, you know, from talking to people at City, it was celebrated more than any other other victory last, last year just because they knew that they'd, that they thought that was a moment, you know, we've, we've kind of cracked it. If we can win at Chelsea, we can, we can win the league. And, you know, I, I just think that they've got, you know, just that kind of ruthless streak in them at the moment. I mean, they've not played as well in the last two matches and then they've won both of them comfortably. So, you know, that's that's a sign of a champion, isn't it? VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Southampton slipped to yet another defeat at Wembley on Wednesday against Spurs, but they now have a new manager at the helm. The Austrian Ralf Hasenhutl. I like that name. Yeah, Hasenhutl. Hase means um, hair, and Hutl, I think, means small hut, but I could just be making that up. <laughs> so make of that what you, uh, what, what you want. Um, oh, okay. It's funny because he's he made his name... Um, with a small club called Ingolstadt, getting them promoted. And then that got him a move to Leipzig. That comes with a little caveat when it comes to, when it comes to Leipzig. And obviously he got Leipzig promoted and, 
I think they finished second in their first season and sixth in their second. Um, and that's when he was sacked. So obviously, people will know that Leipzig have a major sponsorship deal with a fizzy drinks company. Um, and they spent a ton of money to get promoted. And they played really good football. But they have a, a technical director named Ralph Rangnick, who's actually the manager right now, uh, and who was a manager before, who... I mean, he very much micromanages, right? He's, he's a coach who's now a technical director. They have a very defined way of, of playing. Basically, it's, it's a pretty narrow system in the sense that the width really just comes from the fullbacks. Um, but it's, it's a very high-energy system. They tend not to press super high. They tend to press more in midfield, but they, they press really, really intensely, and it's very coordinated, and it can be really pretty to watch sometimes. Hasenhutl kind of played with similar concepts before when he was at Ingolstadt. So he seemed like he seemed like a, like a, a good a good fit for Leipzig and and he was for a while I think in their second season last year when they were disappointing. And bear in mind it was only their their second year in the top flight and they had the um, Champions League to deal with which they didn't have before and whatnot. I think he had some major man management issues. Nabi Keita who was obviously their their best player, I think, together with Emil Forsberg. Forsberg got hurt. Keita was their best player by some margin. And, you know, he had the whole issue with the Liverpool move and the contract, which caused a lot of tension with the club. His work ethic, if you speak to Leipzig, would say, that, well, you know, it wasn't great. He was disinterested. He had a poor season, basically. And so at the end of the year, Hasenhovel got the chop. And now they're going to, I think it's Rangnick for a year, and then they're going to get somebody else in, uh, Nagelsmann. But... What I find interesting is, you know, he's still he's still young. He had the experience with a big club or a club that fought like a big club, um, but with a dominating figure above him. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, not that Les Reed is a big, dominating, intimidating figure, but he's gone. So I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic now with Hasenhutl and how much power he actually has and how much license he has to really you know put his own stamp on the team he does have some good players to, to work with at Southampton doesn't he Bill yeah I mean Gab was saying that they uh, if he's focusing on his fullbacks to give him the width the attacking width then certainly Cedric and Bertrand are, are very competent players in that well, regard probably even more no well, Matt Target yeah very uh, yeah decent left back certainly um, no, I always thought Bertrand as being a little more defensive maybe than yeah, well, Bertrand can I think he's, you know, obviously played for England and and it's fine in the attack, I think. And interesting, last night, they uh, Southampton, they lost 3-1 away to Tottenham, but uh, they played pretty well. It looked like they perhaps got a bit of a the new manager boost, as it were, or or getting rid of the old manager boost. Um, they hit the woodwork three times. Um, brought back Stephen Davis, perhaps because the caretaker manager was Kelvin Davis. He wanted a, like, <laughs> a, a namesake on the pitch. But, I mean, he, it, Stephen Davis played brilliantly for Northern Ireland this season. So it was a bit odd that it was just only his first league start. He's not been injured. James Ward-Prowse is very good dead balls. Um, and uh, they've got a very solid uh, centre midfield. Nathan, Nathan, well, I mean, Nathan Redmond's good in the attack, the trickery there. On paper, they've got good strikers, but obviously they've been struggling to, what about Manolo? to finish. He played all right. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying generally the, the strikers' finishing records have been right. poor in the last year or so. So, um, so, yeah, he does have the players to work with, yeah, certainly. 13 games without a win, though, for Southampton right now. It's their worst run for 20 years. They travel to Cardiff on Saturday, and it's a Cardiff side, let's not forget, that have won back-to-back home games, Bill. 
Yeah, and the Cardiff, I, I, I never thought they were looked no hopers at all, even in the early weeks of the season when the results weren't going their way. And certainly at home, they've looked much better than, than away. So, I mean, that'll, uh, they're certainly going to give Southampton a big, a big test. In terms of what Hasenholz was going to bring style-wise, I mean, effectively, he played sort of, I think in Germany they called it a 4-2-2-2 formation, a little bit like what Watford do, but yeah. the difference is with just a ton of intensity. And I'm just wondering, I mean, when you, when you think of, of the players they have, there's quality there, but mm. Charlie Austin, Shane Long, maybe not the most dynamic pressing machines out there. Lemina, I think, does a good job getting around the pitch. I'm trying to imagine what you think Romeo maybe a little bit less so if he starts. I, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, how, how do you see this? Who would fit? Yeah, I, well, I think Shane Long uh, is getting on a bit, but he is at least uh, does chase around He's well, busy. Well, I think. Um uh, yeah, perhaps as I say, Ward Prowse is, is better with it when he's kind of standing next to the ball, ready to take a free kick or a corner than kind of. Uh, you make it seem all this guy does is hit dead balls. Well, I mean, I'm saying because he is really brilliant at that. He's got a unique style. Um, yeah, Romeo is certainly not the, the quickest or most agile. Um, well, we'll see. Maybe uh, Hassan Huttel will, will need to get a couple of um, centre midfield terriers in to. Uh, to help his style along in January. Hi there and welcome to The Sweeper, the Times' fantasy football tip service. My name's Charlie Scott and I'm joined by Paddy Bear. Hello. And we're here to preview Game Week 16. So we had this midweek round of games, Paddy, where a lot of the big names were rested. You're going to read us a little list, aren't you? Yeah, Christmas is definitely coming. Uh, this is just a selection of players who didn't start in midweek. Um, Aguero, Sterling, Laporte, Salah, Firmino, Mane, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold, Vardy, Walcott, Bernard, Keane, Ali, Davies, Pedro, Lukaku, Pogba, Lacazette. There were even more than that. That's just a, a taster for you. So if you had a starting eleven in midweek, um, well done. <laughs> um, the good news, I think, is that the vast majority of those players probably will start this weekend as a result. That's how rotation works. So don't panic. There's not necessarily a reason to start shipping them out uh, en masse. Absolutely. And I think just don't get too downbeat if you had a poor week because it's just going to happen to everyone. That is the nature of having so many games in such a short period of time. Yeah, it just reminded us that you need a decent bench at this stage of the season. This is why depth is crucial. You're going to have, you've got guys like, um, you know, cheap players, Wan-Bissaka, um, defenders at that sort of price range who start. They're not just players who are going to sit on your bench and take up space. They're going to come on um, and they're going to chip in and it's going to be massively helpful. Absolutely. And one team who helped quite a few managers out this week was Wolves with uh, Raul Jimenez who's one of those quite uh, attractively priced strikers he scored against Chelsea and Doherty the right back got another assist uh, they picked up 8 points and 5 points each just looking a bit further ahead you like West Ham? Yeah, I've said it the past couple of weeks. Their fixtures are very nice uh, right up until the new year, basically. Arnautovic got injured midweek, which is obviously annoying. They've got Felipe Anderson, who's an obvious one. Robert Snodgrass is starting and picking up points at only 5.3 million. And they don't keep that many clean sheets, but their defence is incredibly cheap. 
their centre-backs Diop and Balbuena are 4.3 and 4.4 million respectively and Fabianski in goal is a points machine so I reckon if you want to get some cheap players and free ups and value that might be the best way This weekend who are the standout names for you I, I like a bit of Harry Kane playing Leicester Yeah I think well Kane and Aubameyang were the two who everyone was chasing after in midweek um, and it still stands I think Aubameyang may get a rest at some point soon but Arsenal have some very nice games coming up um, and Kane if he hits form at the right time and starts every game in December he's going to be brilliant and just a quick shout out to Kieran Trippier and Vincent Company, the only defenders in game week 15 to get clean sheet points that's remarkable they both got substituted for their teams conceded so well done you two don't forget you can sign up to receive our weekly email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football or join in the fun on Facebook and chuck us your teams and we'll critique them and give any advice and tips and that kind of thing. Just search for The Sweeper on Facebook, get involved and uh, ask us whatever you like. It's time now for our weekly predictions game where we pick five matches from the weekend and try and predict the score. Let's just remind everybody, Gab, that I am 8-5 up this season. I that's see that look. That's uniquely thanks to Jordan Pickford, by the way. <laughs> Seriously. A win is a win, and that's I what happened. I think the jamminess is going gonna, is gonna to end soon, but <laughs> let's start with the Cherries. Bournemouth and Liverpool, Saturday lunchtime. Liverpool keep grinding out results more than they grind out performances. They do. And obviously it's not easy to go to the Vitality Stadium. Uh, Bournemouth playing quite well this season, really. Um, But I can't say anything other than a Liverpool win. So I'm going for a 2-1 win. I think at some point performances catch up with you. And I think Liverpool, they've got this huge Champions League game coming up against Napoli at Anfield. So I think this is where they drop points Ooh. and I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Oh, okay. So that's Saturday lunchtime. What about Saturday evening? The champions, Manchester City, heading to Chelsea. I would have said Saturday late afternoon. Would you? I was always told that after five o'clock it's the evening. Really? Yeah. I don't know why, but I well, What time do you eat your dinner? Oh, well, I mean, if that you're not varies. Working, I mean, oh, then... six-ish. Really? The whole match is 5.30 to 7.20, so that goes well into the evening, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't, we're not just talking about the actual kickoff time. Would you watch the game and then have dinner if you didn't have, if you were working and didn't have plans, or would you? <laughs> well, I could eat my dinner and watch it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Well, what would you normally do? On a Saturday, I would probably, we'd probably eat and watch at the same time. Just wondering about that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for that brief, brief uh, uh, digression. As Bill Edgar told us, Chelsea played really well against Wolves. Mm. I think Manchester City also do perhaps a slowdown at some point. <laughs> they certainly don't look like it's coming. Um, That's a big call, that gap. Yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. Okay, well, uh, I'm a bit boring and then I've gone for the same scoreline as I said before. So a 2-1 City win. And if you're going to go 2-1 when Spurs travel to uh, <laughs> Leicester as well. predictable, my ones, yeah. Um, do you know what I have? I think Tottenham are going to win 2-1 at uh, Leicester this uh, weekend. I know, it's really boring. I do change as we go along, you should say. You have three away victories. Oh, I man, have. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to walk this. I'm feeling it. Oh. Uh, no, Leicester against Spurs. Come on, my man Claude Puel jamming them up. Again, Spurs, a big game going to Barcelona. They can say, oh, Barcelona are going to play all the all the scrubs and uh, they're going to lie down for us. Eh, I'm not so sure. I think Spurs have to put in a performance uh, at mm-hmm. the camp now and uh, I think they might be looking past that. So I'm going to go for a draw. Nil-nil. Oh, 
Okay, nil-nil. Right, what about the big game? I say the big game. But it's Sol Campbell's first league game in charge of Macclesfield. He takes his side to Colchester. Sol Campbell, the former candidate for Mayor Mayor of of London. London. Yes, the very same. So I'm told Macclesfield are really, really bad. And (laughs) yeah, they're bottom of League Two. And I have no idea where Colchester are. Were Colchester managed by somebody good? Like who then went on to do something more important at some point? Uh, Paul Lambert. Yes. Oh, I can think of. Paul Lambert. That's right. Okay. Lambert. All right. Um, so this is a mystery for me, but um, just because I want this to be a good story, I'm going to pick Macclesfield to win. Ooh. Two nil. Okay. Well, Macclesfield have picked up a bit of form recently, actually. Oh, yes. Uh, having uh, won their last two and back-to-back clean sheets. First Wait, time they've done that. Sorry. So they won two games in a row, and then they sacked the poor schlub who was there. To oh, no, they him sacked him Campbell. before that. They, they sacked him before that. So they were doing better without a manager. Yeah. Yeah, okay. sadly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, they are going to third-placed Colchester. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, so I think it's going to get worse. I know. I kept that back. I think it's going to get what worse. What was I supposed to know? How could I possibly have known that? <laughs> it's insider trading. <laughs> Hello. You're the one that has hotline to managers most of the time. But anyway, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I'm just going for a slender 1-0 home win for Colchester. And finally, why don't you step into my mm, wheelhouse? Juventus hosting Inter in Serie A, Natalie. Yes. Well, I know that Juventus is going very well. Eight points clear at the top, I many believe. Many points clear, yeah. Yeah, many, many points clear. They've won all but one of their games, I believe, That's in the league. Right. And the, that one game was a draw. So unbeaten, doing very, very well. Um, Inter third, 11 points off Juve. I'm mm, 2-1 win for Juve. There's a lot of aggro in this game, especially given what happened when uh, when Inter played them last season. Again, what I'm, happened last season? So what happened last season is Juventus were one point clear with three games to go, one point clear of uh, of Napoli. Inter were chasing fourth spot. Incredible game where Inter go a goal down, then they have somebody sent off, Vecino, I think it was, then Miralem Pjanic of Juventus should have very obviously picked up a second yellow which would have left Juventus down to 10 men with more than an hour to go. Mm. Uh, weirdly, he wasn't sent off, and Juventus continued playing with a man advantage. And because this is Inter, and Inter make no sense at all, they actually managed to take the lead and were 2-1 up with three minutes to go. And then Juventus scored twice, and, uh, oh. and basically that sent them on their way to the title. Inter have been playing better, no question about it, um, but they've got another crunch Champions League match to look forward to. In fact, they've had... They had a big game at the weekend against Roma. I just think it takes a ton out of them. So, yeah, I'm going to go Juventus 1-0. Just time for us to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We said Burnley remain in the bottom three, so remain on course for the rare double of having played in European competition and being relegated within the same season. However, there is a player in the Burnley squad who's actually done that before. This one really stumped us. We had... Um, Denard, and we had no idea. No, am I right? Well, is it is it, is it Karen Brady's oldest? <laughs> well, you, you, or, sorry, youngest son, Robbie. You, you say <laughs> it's dumped you, but I have to give credit to Gab. Wow. He stepped in and first he said Hull, and that's absolutely right. They played in Europe in 2014-15 because they uh, they were runners up in the FA Cup the previous year. 
to Arsenal. He'd qualified for the Champions League and they went down that season. And the player in question is indeed Robbie Brady. Yes! <laughs> and the point, and it, get points in the prediction no, for this, no, no, no. And he will be the first, if it happens, he'll be the first player ever to have done it twice. The um, previous teams to be relegated having played in Europe that season were Ipswich in 2001-2. Um, then you had Blackburn uh, three or four years before and then Newcastle in the late uh, 1970s. Am I right thinking Robbie Prady played his youth football at Manchester United? Uh, yes. Here's a little hint. Bill is a Manchester United fan. So if you notice, at least three quarters of his trivia teasers, and this is all unconscious, you didn't realise he's doing this, have some sort of Manchester United link. So like this Robbie Brady one. Mm-hmm. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Back of your head. Yeah, deliberately avoid it in future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Bill Edgar and Paul Hurst. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And Gab, you're away on Monday, aren't you? That's right. I am away. I'm, uh, I'll be uh, over at ESPN in lovely Bristol, Stateside. Connecticut. Yes. Lovely. But I'll be back uh, ahead of the final match day of the Champions League group stage for you on Monday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.